There's actually some real suspense this time. Real suspense. Frozen, just like I was hoping. ISO me, all show. Welcome to Debatable Live. I'm Dominique Foxworth, and yes, full screen me. All right, so me and Alabaster, you figure out your text issues, David Dennis Jr. and Alabaster. Give me the first cue, please. All right, so we just watched a masterpiece, a duo of Jokic and Murray that was uh, historically good. I mean, we had a 30-20-10 from Jokic, a dominant performance by Murray. And yeah, he played basketball too, but my question do you feel like the Nuggets are definitely going to win the NBA title? Absolutely not. I mean, anyone who is saying definitely at this point in this year's playoffs is absolutely wrong. They don't sincerely believe it. The Nuggets definitely should win the title. This was, uh, I mean, an encouraging sign. Uh, the last time we did this, I just kind of pointed out that what it comes down to, for me at least, in predicting these outcomes of these games, is how well the Heat shoot. Everything that they do offensively and defensively, I think, is predicated on their three-point shooting. It was bad today, and they tricked. You know how we talked about last week, or at least the question for um, Eric Spolstra that got him all up in arms was, if you turn Jokic into a scorer, how much does that help your team? It seems like they've done the same plan, except they've done it to Bam the other way. This is twice in this series that Bam has shot the ball 20 times or more. They lost both times. And through the course of the entire season, I'm not sure Bam has more than five uh, times where he's taken 20 shots. This offense is not built around Bam being the number one scorer, and they're not going to win if they can't hit their shots from the outside. What do you think, Alabaster? I think that uh, Miami is sort of at a crossroads because what we wanted from them from the last couple of games is a more aggressive Jimmy Butler. And – we got a much more aggressive Jimmy Butler, and it didn't really have the offensive impact that we thought was going to happen if we got a good Jokic and Murray game. And, uh, you know, John Hollinger tweeted out, um, let me get the exact stat for you from Jokic, but he tweeted out that there have been th- uh, 30 2010 games in postseason history. Nikola Jokic has three. Every other, bas- every other player in NBA history has two. Um and so even if the even if we're saying that the Heat are doing a good job of controlling tempo and controlling pace, it seems like this is sort of the bare minimum of what we can expect from Jokic and Murray for the rest of the series, which I think puts them in the Heat in big trouble. Yeah, the bare minimum is, I mean, if that's the bare minimum, the uh, two outstanding games, um, I think that the Heat are definitely in trouble if they're not going to get any worse than that. You said a couple things that I thought were interesting. The the idea that uh, Jokic is going to produce this every game seems inevitable. You can't do much about that. I think what we do or what the Heat and Eric Spolstra do about everyone else, maybe doing something about Jamal Murray would be uh, stopping him, limiting his touches, and uh, trying to force the ball into other people's hands, which is easier said than done when Jokic is getting people wide open shots. But the Jimmy Butler minutes, you want more from Jimmy. Apparently... Brown is the new defensive stopper and offensive catalyst. You think how upset do you think Austin Reeves is watching this game? So Austin Reeves was—he's the new Caruso. He's not the new Reeves, like the no, athletic saying, white no, guy. No, no, he's I'm so not, bouncy. I'm not saying that he—they're the same player. I'm saying that this year's playoffs, we had one American-born white man break out. 
already. Austin Reeves did it. And now Braun's going to come in here. Oh, excuse me. Brown's going to come in here and make us forget all about Austin Reeves. If he has another game like that, we'll be talking about him uh, this whole offseason, no matter how much Austin gets paid. Well, the other thing about this is the, the thing about these uh, minutes from Christian Brown, obviously a rookie getting these rotation minutes in the NBA Finals is pretty impressive to begin with. But I think a lot of people thought that Michael Porter Jr. was becoming some sort of a third star, a 6'10 Clay Thompson type person. I don't have the numbers. I think he's eight for 33 this series and essentially was getting attacked in rotation on defense. What do you think the, do you think that this is a permanent solution for the rest of the series that MPJ is going to be out of this rotation? Is that a smart play? Yeah, it's a permanent solution and it is absolutely a smart play. He's a, a problem on defense. He's been better on defense, but he's really out there because of his offensive contribution. He's a big guy who shoots the ball great. If you're not going to hit your shots, I mean, it's Duncan Robinson is the corollary on the other side of the um, on the other team is if he's not hitting his threes, that's what you're here for. Like they're not going to go out of their way to put him in there because he's some defensive stopper or because he sees the floor incredibly well and passes well or he's a great screen setter like we keep hearing about Bam. He doesn't do any of those things well. He's a problem on defense. If he's not going to shoot and hit his shots and force them to guard him, there's really no reason. Uh, to have MPJ on the floor. It's disappointing, though, because he is so skilled and so fun to watch and so athletic, which would lend you to believe that he might be a good defensive player, like a two-guard who can also be a rim protector, but he is a liability. At least he's been so far in this series. This is sort of a a pivot, but I got to ask you this from you, because you played sports and played with (laughs) other athletes. What will... Porter Jr. is a really interesting guy because he's like freakishly bouncing and gets the rim, but he doesn't create. It's like he needs a runway to be athletic. Uh Are there guys like that who just like have the uh, non with the ball in their hands athleticism? I mean, I I guess I shouldn't pile on Jalen Brown because he's still athletic with the ball in the hand, just a little less coordinated. I think that's not the spot. But I, I mean, I think long guys like that, being incredibly athlete, athletic at that size, normally we think of athletes as like quick, short area quickness, and having long limbs makes it really hard. Michael Porter Jr. should be, given all his skills, I think, a much more impactful player. I think if he didn't have the back issues, we'd be looking at him, or he'd be drafted much higher, and people would be considering him uh, someone you build around, and it would have taken a couple years before we accepted that he wasn't, kind of like the Aaron Gordon path, and then he ends up somewhere else in the spot that he's in now. So it's worked out well for him in some ways, but he still can't even like rise to the level of outstanding role player, which, or even I guess outstanding is a stretch, consistent role player. And I really like him as a player. It's disappointing that he's on this big stage uh, reminding everybody the problems that he has. Okay, let's get to the Jokic of this, the larger Jokic thing. Yeah, that's because, probably much more interesting. Well, there, it's also... I think we're getting to really interesting territory. I, again, haven't tabulated the numbers in front of you, but let's just say that Jokic is averaging 30-plus, 15-ish, and close to 10 assists. Are, does this feel like a dominant series? Is this like Shaq's 38-17? and 17? How like We've had some dominant, dominant finals performances, LeBron in 2016 or LeBron and Kyrie in 2016, that Shaq series, all the Jordan series. Are you When you are watching this, because I, I'm starting to feel that way, do you feel that Jokic is in a league – like that with this finals performance 
It certainly feels like his impact on the game is at that level. Uh, their offense, and you saw this, we saw some of the more traditional stuff because I think it's hard when he's uh, kind of dominating the game through rebounds and backdoor passes. It's not the type of game domination that we normally think of. Like all the people that you named in dominating games, they were scorers. And I know Jokic is putting up, he put up 41 in the loss and he's over 30 uh, in the other games. I know he's scoring, but you don't see him doing the takeover the game scoring stuff that you normally associate with someone who's dominating a series. But what you do see is he's the guy who stops the bleeding. And that's another role of the star is when the heat, whenever they go on a run, Jokic is the one that puts in enough shots in a row and takes the ball, forces it inside, slows it down and makes it so that this team can like, uh, I guess, so that they can steady the ship and buy themselves time to get back into the flow of the offense. So, yeah, I guess I, I don't think I, I don't think I'm viewing it that same way, though, as you do when when you get those guys taking over the game. It certainly is dominant, but I don't know, rebounds and outlet passes don't uh like stick in your head like fast break explosive dunks do which is what all those other guys are doing in the history of the league when they take over a finals game yeah and uh worth noting uh this is from harrison wind on twitter Nikola Jokic and jamal murray both with triple doubles in the nuggets game three win Jokic 32 21 and 10 murray 34 10 and 10 they're claiming the spot as the nba's best duo i feel like that's pretty cut and dry, but there are yeah. some other really talented duos. Do you feel like, I don't think we elevated Murray to that level before this. Are yeah. they entering that, that tier for you? Uh, it's hard to argue not. I think the, the, the argument against this would be obviously Murray because Jokic is back to back MVP uh, and he's at that level, but Murray's been injured or hasn't been consistent in a regular season. His biggest like moments have all been, it's very Jimmy Butler esque is that, we remember him from being incredible in the bubble. Then he kind of faded from consciousness a little bit for a few seasons. And then we see him back in these playoffs. And I guess it wasn't fair what I said of Jokic is the one hit, always hitting those shots. Because tonight it seemed like Jamal Murray was the one that was hitting those big threes. And what he's been doing in this series so far has been incredible. He's also feels like not the best defensive matchup right now he doesn't seem to find his spot on defense which is interesting both of these guys I guess Jokic hasn't been a problem on defense but you think of him as a as a guy who struggles on the defensive end it's interesting that both of those guys because again all those people that you named are guys who kind of did it on both ends of the floor and were dominant in that way Jokic isn't I guess he got a block on Bam I remember that but he's not like protecting the rim he's not picking people's pockets on the other end of the floor but he can still dominate the game yeah, I mean, it's sort of crazy that we had we had significant defensive questions about Jokic, and it's another game they held the Miami Heat to ninety four points. Um, how how do you feel about the Jimmy Butler of it all? I feel like uh, he skated a lot. It sucks. Um, yeah. It sucks. It sucks so much because Jimmy Butler he climbed to such a level this off or this postseason in all of our minds, and it was fun having him there. And it feels like. Uh, it's fading away that like we'll always remember this run and we'll remember playoff Jimmy and we'll talk about how special he was again in the bubble and how special he was last year coming a three-pointer shy of going back to the finals and how good he's been in many places at this run but sometimes it's the last thing that hangs in your mind 
Like, it feels like had he gone for, like, 50 and a loss to the Celtics, we would remember this a lot more fondly probably than we're going to remember it, you know, because he's not playing well in this series. He's, he's, you still see that he has enough to make impactful plays at certain times, and he is still the heart of that team. When they're in trouble and they need help, they go through Jimmy, and he provides it a lot of times, but – if you did not come into this series knowing who the stars on both teams are, it'd be clear that Jokic is the star on the other team. I think you'd have a hard time uh, like telling that Jimmy's the guy because he hasn't been the guy. Yeah, it felt like um, felt to me that it, the Heat, it was interesting tonight. Uh, the stretch where they were able to make it close, it felt like they had uh, – Throwback performance from Caleb Martin. You turned the, like, the clock to about two weeks ago. To, when yeah. he hit, a, hit a bunch of threes. Wait a second. Are you wearing an axolotl shirt? Yeah. You don't like oh. axolotls? Well, I love axolotls. What you axolotl questions. Oh, top of the top. You know that they can regenerate internal organs? Incredible. It's, what incredible uh, animals. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, the, so I do want a larger heat Kinda question here. looks like Kyle Lowry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was going to. It does look like Kyle Lowry. Not as not as big of a dumper, but you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't. It could be an axolotl thing. Um, so, you said that we're not going to have fond memories of this Heat run. Is it kind of insane though that this team has made two NBA Finals and three Conference Championships, and we continue to underrate them? Like, even if they don't have a championship under this under their belt, this has been one of the should be a, one of the great achievements for team basketball and Pat Riley and Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll remember it fondly. I don't know if we'll remember Jimmy as fondly as I, I think we all did a couple weeks ago. But yeah, I mean, we should give them respect. But it's not basketball. It's not the NBA. That's not NBA history. Like what they're doing keeps surprising us. And I feel like I can defend all of us for being surprised by it because while the Heat have done it for the last few years, it's not the history of the game. That's not what we've had for the last 75 plus years. Hasn't been, you know what, a nice, good team with a great culture and a long history of fighting hard with a bunch of undrafted guys or late in the draft guys. That's going to make it to the finals. Even though we, we point to the other eight seed was the Knicks. They were not without talent. Very talented team. They were eight seed because it was a strike shortened season. So I can't think of any team like this. I think people point to the Pistons, but the Pistons weren't that. Like, they had highly drafted guys from uh, Hamilton to Prince and uh, Chauncey Billups. I guess Ben Wallace. Oh, Rasheed Wallace. Ben Wallace was like a kind of a lunch pail guy who turned himself into a defensive stalwart. But, like, in the history of the NBA, this is not what happened. So I'm fine with being shocked by it, and I'll defend all of us dumb media types that didn't anticipate this because it's just not how it works. Yeah, going to be an interesting offseason for them, assuming the Nuggets win the NBA championship. Because uh, we had Damian Lillard, who was on podcast, oh, yeah. being like, if they do trade him, the Heat will be my first choice, unless unless they win the title. Um, other, other stat that uh, I found a little bit interesting – there have only been two players in NBA history to average a triple-double in the playoffs while uh, playing 10-plus games. Jason Kidd in 2006-2007, where he averaged um, uh, 14.6 points, 11 rebounds, and 11 assists. And Jokic, who's averaging 
30.5 points, 13 rebounds, and 10 assists. So Tracy McGrady comparing Jokic to Jason Kidd, pretty apt, pretty spot on. Tracy McGrady knows a thing or two about basketball, it would appear. Um, All right. I don't know if there's much more on this game, but I do want to ask you about a tiny bit of other NBA news that happened around the association, and that is... I'm nervous. No, this is your old buddy. It's not Zion Williamson. We're going to talk about Chris Paul. Okay. (laughs) Um, Zion on the tables makes me scared. Yeah. And that is... There have been conflicting reports. Is Chris Paul released by the Suns? Is he just in talks about trades or released with the Suns? Could he re-sign with them? But the question is, do you still view Chris Paul, Paul as an impactful free agent, assuming he does get released? Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, I guess there are very few players who get to free agency who I think are like franchise swingers, free agents, you know? So Chris Paul's not that. It depends on your definition of impactful. But I do think for the right team, Chris Paul could be uh, not the answer, but an answer. And that right team is the Boston Celtics. Uh, like he, I think, addresses the issues that they have. He's also there. It's also a team that is talented enough to allow him to not play just about all season, which I think is important because he can't play a full season and also play in the playoffs. And maybe he can't play in the playoffs with that many back-to-back games or not back-to-back games, but that many games with that level of intensity every night. But I think that the Celtics would be the perfect place for him because it might be 10 to 12 minutes a game in the playoffs and key moments, making decisions and providing whatever other veteran leadership. You need somebody who's kind of, a, a, I don't know the right word since we're live. I don't want to mess it up, but kind of a tough guy, I guess, is the word I'll use. You see that that's something that has value in the playoffs is the person who doesn't back down and the person who kind of drives that team. It's something that I think Jimmy Butler provides for this team. And I really don't. Jason Tatum is the star of that Celtics team, but he doesn't seem to have that personality. Uh, Robert Williams, maybe, but he doesn't play uh, enough or consistently enough. Uh, and their big, wily veteran guy, it's not that either. So I think Chris Paul would be perfect there. It's, uh, I'm sure that people have already linked him with the Lakers because everyone gets linked with the Lakers because what else are we going to talk about? But I don't like him there nearly as much as I do in, in um, Boston. Huh. He'd be. I think he'd be interesting in both places. The Boston thing, my God, that medical staff would have their hands full of CP3, uh, Brogdon, Horford, <laughs> and Robert Williams. Yeah. I mean, the, the he'd have to take a pay cut. Obviously. Well, not a pay cut. I guess we'll see what the market offers for Chris Paul, but I think at this point in his career, he's certainly trying to get a championship, I think, more than racking up dollars. But uh, it's a respect thing. I think sometimes you just got to get some money, a a number big enough that you can walk around with your chest held out high uh, or your chest um, poked out. And I'm not sure that either of those teams would be willing to pay him as much. I'm I'm shocked that you think that he works in L.A. because... I think that's not what they need. Another older guy who's not going to be there for the entire season, who has a playoff injury history. We're going to put him in there with AD and LeBron for the entire regular season in the playoffs. That don't work for me. I feel like the thing about AD that's interesting, or sorry, about Chris Paul that's interesting is um, 
he's likely going to be a minimum player after this after this contract, which is something I do want to get into on your on the union side of this for right. the contract that he signed as a partially guaranteed one. But the interesting thing is that as a theoretical minimum player they can add on the Lakers, he makes big guys and rollers incredible. And the fit of him basically getting Anthony Davis easy buckets throughout the regular season, even if it's 25 minutes a game for 60 games, that's pretty appealing because he would instantly be the best point guard that uh, that Davis has ever played with. 25 minutes a game for 60 games. You think that that is going to work and he's not going to have an issue and then in the playoffs? I mean, I, I guess that's the, the bad part. For a minimum, there's no team where I don't think Chris Paul fits for the minimum. So uh, I do think that the the strength of that Lakers team is what they do on the defensive end. And adding Chris Paul to that equation, I, I think, hurts them. I don't know if his value on the offensive end makes up for what he'll cost them defensively. And the, the reliability is obviously another huge concern. But that's uh, honestly, we'll we should we should be clear about this. He's a guy who doesn't really shoot threes anymore, who teams let shoot their mid-range jumpers. He's an okay defender. Yeah. Um, he'd probably be screaming at AD all, all year long, calling him yeah. soft, which might be good, might be bad. But the question is, maybe he should go to the Nuggets because if he wants to have a ring and not have his kids get chirped at school, that's probably the best <laughs> oh, shot. Yeah, that, that was a weird little story. He said that it does – he kind of said that, the, that not winning a championship doesn't eat – eat him up as much as it just makes him upset because his family has to deal with it. And some kid said to his daughter at school, uh, your dad's never going to win a championship, which I don't know, like kids I know are harsh. That's not harsh. It's kind of mean, but it's not harsh. Like your dad's never going to win a championship. So your dad is an accountant. (laughs) Like, I feel like Chris Paul's daughter as the tighten up our comeback game, it's an easy layup. Like your dad's Chris Paul, and whoever said that to you, unless you go to Sierra Canyon, there is nobody who said that to you whose dad is doing anything nearly as impressive as Chris Paul. But whatever. Um, other question about this: This guy's three hundred seventy-five million dollars in career earnings, and he signed this contract where he was able to have a partially guaranteed last year, um, and gives him a you know a shot to basically sign with the contender after what can only amount to be two really disappointing and frustrating years with the Suns when they yeah. were title title favorites going into both postseasons. Yeah. Um, from a, he was, correct me if I'm wrong, he was the head of the Players Association, yeah, right? Uh-huh. Um, and I feel like they fought so much for guaranteed contracts. Do you think he's looking at this like this was a, this was a good shrewd move to take a partial guarantee to have more player mobility? How's um, that viewed from someone like him? Yeah, I mean, I I think he's already won. I think this is at, from a financial standpoint, this is the icing part of the con- or part of uh, his career. He did though, like he got max deals, and when we were when he was the president, that was one of the things that people believe was very important to him, and something that he uh, people believe he made sure got taken care of it was like the max number and the length of the contracts was all stuff that he was coming up on. And that him and players like him and LeBron got uh, paid on. So I, I think my guess is that uh, you catch him in an honest moment. He feels like he played this as well as you possibly could from a financial standpoint. Yeah. By the way, I was just thinking it would be <laughs> the Celtics one's right because he'd be the head coach. Can you imagine him in the huddles telling Joe? <laughs> oh, Mazzola I forgot how to about coach? that. I forgot about that. That's actually, I take it back. Him and, jo- and Joey Maz ain't going to get along, I don't think. 
It would uh, be hysterical. You might actually just send Joe Missoula back to the locker room. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chris Paul could be a coach next year if he wanted to. Yeah. I think somebody would hire him. The way they're paying coaches these days, he might want to go ahead and do that. I want him and uh, J.J. Redick to coach teams next season. They're like – Aren't they like really close friends? They, they, I Probably. think he did. I think he did Reg's podcast and kept calling him Bubs. Um, but uh, what's the weirdest uniform you could see him in? Oh, that's sad. I hate when we have to do uh, Patrick Ewing in, in the Magic uniform or Hakeem in the Raptors uniform. I don't know. He played on a lot of teams though. So like, my first thought was OKC, and I was like, oh yeah, that's right. He did that. Um, well, I mean, I guess he was, uh, he was in Houston. That wasn't cute. I guess the, the Nets would be pretty ugly. I think Chris Paul in a Nets uniform would be bad. The Wizards would be hilarious. I knew you were going to say the Wizards. I knew it. I knew it. The Wiz. Yeah. I mean, that or like the Pacers. Like, can you imagine Chris Paul, Indiana Pacer, point <laughs> guard, and oh, those gosh. those Hickory High alternative ones? Like, he's uh, literally dressed like a Hoosier as he's become this old hustle guy, oh, just punching gosh. guys in the junk when he gets frustrated. He he'd fit in in DC. I feel like DC feels like a Chris Paul type of city. Oh yeah. Um. All right, that's about all I got. You got anything else you want to talk about? Yes, let's do 20 minutes on Zion. You ready? I want to know what you think about Zion. Um, what think. do I think about Zion? <laughs> Glad he's getting in shape. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That has been the, the, the take of all takes. Yeah, I don't know. It makes me sad. It's embarrassing. Uh, it doesn't necessarily makes me sad. Uh, don't yuck his yum. Whatever makes him happy. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not. That doesn't make me sad. What makes me sad is that it's public. Like, I, I don't know. I feel maybe this is me getting old. But, like, I get the jokes. They're funny. I laugh at them sometimes. But also, like, ultimately, I just be like, oh, poor kid. You don't want all, like, who wants all this in the streets? Can you imagine waking up and picking up your phone? And this is what's trending about you, and you're a six eight man who can't like hide anywhere. That sucks. Of course, it's his decisions and whatever. That's fine, but also it still sucks. Yeah, I mean, if we thought Chris Paul's kid was getting arrested at school, <laughs> yeesh. <laughs> yeah, I, I should have taken the out that you gave me before. Got out of. I got, I got plenty of jokes. The more that you want to virtue signal wish, about this, I'll continue to roast. <laughs> Am I really virtue signaling? I'm not virtue signaling. I like my honest opinions. Like I feel sad. What's the virtue that I'm that I'm uh, signaling? I, uh, I just feel sad. It Empathy. <laughs> well, I mean, How dare you be an empath? It's funny. I agree. I'll, I'll grant you that. It's funny, but it's also sad. Yeah, it's a little sad. It's a little sad. It's been a tough couple of years for that. Yeah, that's terrible. Like he was supposed to be the next star of the league. They were gonna put the league on his back. Yeah, Man, him and Ja. <laughs> They're the future of American basketball players. They're the last hope that the best player in the league can be uh, is not gonna be an international player. Those two guys and Jason Tatum are mm. our last hope, and they out here. <laughs> Blowing it. Christian Brown, too. Oh, that's um, right. Really Brown. got a feel for Adam Silver. Did you see oh, my God. John Moran and Zion Williams in trending, but not the way he wanted. 
<laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's who I really should feel bad for. He woke up this morning and saw what was trending and was like, God. He thought it was going to be such a good day for him, too. He was like, he was like, oh, Jay Monahan, the heat's off me. <laughs> That's right. I forgot. So he's in Miami right now. Is he going to the finals? He's laughing about Jay Monahan signing up or accepting that Saudi money, appreciating that uh, he's protected from when they do it in the next couple of years. Like, remember? You guys already accepted golf, did it? Thanks, Jay. And then Zion falls in his lap and he has to deal with that. You doing any press conferences? I, I want to hear what he says about this because he talks about the emotional state of his players and all that stuff. Do they have we had so this will be interesting to you. We'll we'll go on this. But when I was at the Players Association, like we would work on the curriculum for like uh rookies, like things that they needed to know coming in and Part of it was about how to behave on social media and how to protect yourself in way, the best ways to protect yourself when uh, making new friends, we'll call it. Uh, and I guess maybe he fell asleep during that portion of the presentation or he did not have the willpower to make the prudent decisions. But good for you. Have fun. Don't yuck people's yum, right? That's right. And we have seen him fall asleep on the bench, so it's always possible. <laughs> oh, poor Zion. I can't poor wait till Zion. he dunks on somebody again. Uh, hopefully me. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the good thing about this is we'll stop. We'll forget all this when he jumps over a seven-footer. Reminds us that he's an incredible athlete, and then we'll be fine. All right, final words. You got nuggets in five, nuggets in six, nuggets in seven. I got heat. And seven. Mm. I got nuggets and five. We're a podcast divided. <laughs> All right. Well, we will find out who's right soon enough. I mean, the secret is I'm going to Miami on Monday, so I can't pick the nuggets. Yeah.